Hey, welcome to Conversations with my dear friend, Jeff Conway. My name is Susan. This is A Different Kind of Walk. My friend and co-host, retired longtime pastor, Jeff Conway, is suffering from a neuromuscular disorder that is slowly taking away control of his muscles. In today's episode, Jeff and I finish our discussion of the Camino de Santiago, and Jeff speaks about what his last days at work were like. Jeff also mentions his wife, Patty, and his sons, Addison and Barrett. Enjoy the episode. What is your favorite kind of music? Oh my gosh. (laughs) Well, I've got Celtic on right now. Okay. Which I loved. Okay. Okay. You know, when I'm dead and ashes and put in the alabaster urn on Nosset Beach on Cape Cod and Barrett is chucking me into the ocean, (laughs) the bagpipes will be on the dune because Addison and Patty hate bagpipes and Barrett and I love bagpipes. Okay. So they'll be far enough away not to annoy them too much. And they're not going to be playing Amazing Grace, the cliche on the bagpipes. They're going to be playing the theme from Braveheart. Nice. So, so, yeah, I mean, favorite music really is James Taylor and all that kind of stuff from the 70s that was, you know, mellow folk whatever that i would say is my favorite music perfect but but celtic always moves my soul to a different place perfect i can work all right sounds great all right so let's get back to the camino hike what was the most what was the most important thing that you had to learn from the camino at the beginning kind of telling everybody i was fine even though they saw I was walking differently. And by the end, some people I'd made good friends with would just pick up my backpack and put it on for me Uh, on my back, but they'd put it on for me instead of me having to lug it up and all that kind of stuff. And, and it just felt so natural by the end to receive instead of just give. So that was, that was a huge part of the journey. for me so in this september camino with the guys pushing me Mm -hmm. i mean i recognize what a nightmare it's going to be for me physically and i don't talk about that a whole lot with them yeah because driving around in the car is a nightmare for me so being (laughs) in a tricycle thing with a sling going over rocks and bumps and ruts and stuff for 10 days, eight days, I guess will be a nightmare, but I want them to receive that joy of giving and receiving also Yeah, is, is my hope for that. So, so it's not so much the place other than I knew it would smell like God because of all the prayers, which it did, but just like, Working with kids was a calling. Going to Gordon Conwell was a calling. 
we all have callings, but I mean, this is, um, you know, it was like my dream in college. The dream where you saw heaven. Everything connects to that and the other dreams around that, that God speaks to me in that way, that I get a smile in my heart when I know that it's God speaking to me. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's so great. I wish you nothing but safe travel and good weather and I can't wait to hear about it when you get back. It'll be so cool. Um, so if you don't mind switching gears, I, I was working with you during your last days at Paley Presbyterian Church. Would you mind talking about what those days were like? Was it, was it hard to make that transition? Uh, telling the church that we needed to look for new leadership was not that hard for me. It was just so Im- it was just so real and, and so apparent to me, even though it wasn't fully to everybody at that point. But because I went downhill so quickly at yeah. that point, you know, things moved really fast as I wanted them to in a healthy way for the church. So they didn't have to go through a tough transition. Um, but the last two months before December, so somewhere in October, all the way until my last day, I was mad Mm. and you probably didn't know that. No, Um, it definitely didn't come through at least. I was mad. Um, and I'd be really mad when people would come and tell me, uh, congratulations on your retirement congratulations. I'm not sure they said, I think they did. I mean, there were just enough, uh, there was so much talk about my retirement and inside I was screaming yeah, going, I'm not retiring. This is all being ripped away from me. Yeah. This is being taken from you. Yeah. Um, the transition is what I wanted for the health of the church. But for me, Uh, there were just these, I was mad. So I didn't, even though I'd released my body to God, I'd spoken to the church openly about what was happening. I'd spoken to the church about, we need to start working on transition. I'd, you know, been open about all these kind of things that, uh, which are good and healthy. And I'm glad I was able to do the last two months were not good and healthy. They were filled with a lot of frustration and anger. When the crutches came, when I was using two crutches is when the pain came also. And they started working with the different medicines and tried to tweak, you know, the different things that could happen there. But um, everything changed on, on that last Sunday. We've shared before. So, you know, this and Becca and Jonathan certainly know this now, Becca and Jonathan, the pastors that, Mm-hmm. took my position in our co-pastors now of, of the church. And um, I'm sure they had to be thinking, what is this guy doing? Because I planned my whole last service right. and I wouldn't let anybody have anything to do with it. Right. Yeah. And, and Jonathan and Becca were not invited to participate in the service at all. Right, which, was, which was weird because you guys always shared stuff. Mm-hmm always it was so important to me that i mean we even preached sermons together the three of us that we we did that 
three or four times that it would be the three of us preaching one sermon together in kind of dialogue type style. And mm-hmm. I mean, that's just my personality and who I was. And so I'm sure they were thrown off by how come we're not involved in this at all? Um, but it all led up to what was in my head that I didn't know would be so healing for me. Mm-hmm. Um, having David Drain and Melanie Hammond Clark there. From your old churches, right? From my first church. They were the ones who were my mentors and taught me about ministry and have been in relationship with me for 35 years. And so I stood up there on the steps because, you know, I didn't preach from a pulpit. I preached from the chancel and the steps and um, stood up there in the middle and uh, invited David and Melanie to come up and shared with the congregation. This is my past. Uh, these are the ones who nurtured me and have always supported me and listened to me and rebuked me and encouraged me and did everything we're supposed to do uh, as we're in life in Christ together. And then I invited Patty and Lumi to come forward because mm-hmm. um, I'd used Lumi, my, our, my little Hollywood puffball uh, <laughs> dog, uh, in the children's message, which was inappropriate, because I don't know if you remember, it was that bag that you hide something in the bag. <laughs> it could be anything, but it couldn't be alive. But, you know, they couldn't fire me. It was my last day. So Lumi was in the bag when I pulled him out. And I forget what my message was to the kids, but but I do remember having Lumi as the children's message. But I invited Patty and Lumi up and said, this is my present. And they will take care of me and I will be fine. And, you know, whatever I said that way. Uh, And so then finally, um, uh, and I can get choked up again, just thinking of looking at Jonathan's face because he took over emotion for me. And he's similar to me that doesn't show emotion very Uh often, as you know. So here he is sobbing. And I say, I'd like to invite Becca and Jonathan and come to my right side and told the church, uh, this is your future. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, They have loved you well as associate pastors here, and you will be ordaining them uh, as your heads of staff. And you will be loved well by them and you will be taken care of by them. And they have been my partners and they will always be my partners. And right at that moment, if somebody said, congratulations on your retirement, I would have said thank you and given them a hug. Yeah. I mean, just all the frustration, all the anger just melted away. So what the Camino did for me that I didn't know it did for me was help me release. Mm-hmm. Uh, It was the beginning of the release, Uh, and it was a beautiful gift. (laughs) 
After this conversation with Jeff ended, I spent some time thinking about my own interactions with God and God's calling in my life. There have been many times when I've had to make a decision about which direction to take, and unlike Jeff, I didn't necessarily feel the smile in my heart, meaning that I had landed on the right answer. But God has often given me assurance through my dreams, and it happens most often like this. When I'm dreaming, I'm comfortable in a particular place with all the people around me. After the dream, I think back and I don't actually know any of those people and I've never been to that place, so it seems really strange. Then around four years later in the real world, I end up in that place with those people. And I have this weird sense of deja vu that reminds me of the dream. It usually feels like God is giving me a big hug saying, see, you're in the right place. I had you all along. Since this episode is dedicated to the Camino, I'd like to read you a poem about the Camino by Pierce Nicholson. When we started, we did not know exactly why we were doing it. We had lives which were more or less satisfactory. We had friends known much of our lives. We had children changed from chrysalis to butterflies. We had things Things like machines, things like music, things like pictures, things like shelves full of books, things like money and pensions and security. We did not have one thing, and maybe that is why we started. When we started, we put one foot in front of the other. We still did not know precisely why we were doing it. The miles passed, many of them pleasantly. Our feet blistered and were slow to heal. Our ankles turned on loose stones. The rain beat its way through our clothes. The cold chilled the marrow of our bones. Some nights, refuge was hard to find. Some days, miles of hot dust had no fountains. When the first few of many long days had passed, we found, without words, that we no longer walked together. That together we spoke in our own tongues and often of things that we had left behind where we began. That together we shut out new experience with the wall of our togetherness. That alone we spoke in other tongues and of our common experience. That alone we were open, open with interest and curiosity. Often we met with gladness at the end of each day to know our paths went on together was enough. When we got to the cathedral, we sat down. We saw through the eyes of those long before us, the blinding faith, the crucial thirst for salvation, the tower slowly closing off the sky. And we counted our blessings, several hundred of them, starting with the kindness of ordinary people on the way and with the warmth of other travelers on the road, travelers not at all like us, not in age, not in origin, not in interest, but warm across all these distancings and ending with the friendship and love we had left behind where we began. 
When we got to the sea at the end of the world, we sat down on the beach at sunset. We knew why we had done it. To know our lives less important than just one grain of sand. To know that we did not need the things we had left behind us. To know that we would nevertheless return to them. To know that we needed to be where we belonged. To know that kindness and friendship and love is all one needs. To know that we did not, after all, have to make this long journey to find this out. To know that, for us, it certainly helped. Thanks for joining us for A Different Kind of Walk. Come back next time when Jeff and I discuss the topic of forgiveness with special guest Debs Irwin. Until then, live well.